we're looking all week at the story of Joseph. And I'm sure a lot of you are very familiar with the story because he's such a great character. And there are so many lessons we could pull out, but we're trying to cover the whole story. We're going all the way from Genesis 37 all the way through to Genesis 50 by the end of the week. So there's no way we can get through everything and go into all the details. And even if you haven't grown up reading Joseph in your Bible, perhaps you've seen one of the many musicals, uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat or something like that. So you may have some awareness of the story, I hope. Um, I'll, I, I know there's a lot of reading this week, so I hope you're able to do that because it's, it's such a great story anyway. And there's a lot in it because it's not just a story about Joseph, but it's also a story about how God preserves a family. And it's not just a story about a family, it's how God saves the nation that would become Israel. And not just any nation, but the nation from which the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world would come. So when we look at Joseph's story, we see so much in it that applies to us because it's part of our history. And it's part of giving us an example of how God works in his people's lives. Now, there's a lot of things that could point us to Christ as well, but I won't jump straight into those each day because sometimes we can miss the richness of just the Old Testament if we always go straight to that. Uh, so I will, I will assume most of you are fairly familiar and that you're trying to do the reading and just pick out one or two things each day. And really, today's story, I'm sure most of you will be familiar, is chapter 37 where Joseph... Uh, ends up in slavery. Now, over the last two weeks, we've been following the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're still really in Jacob's part of the story because this is now with his sons. And we're looking more through the eyes of Joseph and his, uh, and his brothers, his 12, 11 brothers. If you remember, this is not exactly your, your ideal family. There are four different mothers um, so you've got a lot of competition going on and rivalry between the sons there. If you remember Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, had Joseph as number 11, Benjamin as number 12, and then sadly passed away giving birth to Benjamin. So Joseph and, and Benjamin are the two from Rachel, who's Jacob's favorite wife. And we're, the text makes quite clear that, Jake, that Joseph himself was by far and away the favorite. If you look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 37, we read that Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And then later on, he'll tell us because he was also from Rachel. And he made an ornate robe from, for him. That's the, the multicolored, technicolor dream coat. And scholars can't quite agree if it's multicolored or just very fancy in some other way. But whatever it was, it gave him this sense of status and privilege, and I'm the favorite, and my dad loves me. And so we read on, his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, so they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. So this is the family that Joseph is growing up in. This is where he's the spoiled brat, if you like, and he's the one with all the, the privilege, and his brothers can't stand him. Then into this unhappy mix, in the next few verses, verses 5 to 11, we see that Joseph doesn't have any tact at all. He announces to his brothers that he's had a wonderful dream where they're all bowing down to him. So you can imagine how that went over. And then he has another dream where even his parents bow down to him. 
So, of course, there's even more hatred and jealousy. If that wasn't enough, his other brothers have to go and work in the fields while he gets to swan about in his lovely coat. And his dad, who obviously has no clue about uh, sibling rivalry, you'd think he would, having just grown up with Esau, sends this spoiled son to go check on his other brothers who are working hard. In other words, to kind of give their, him a report as to whether they're doing their job or not. And we know how the story goes. They see him coming. They hatch a murder plot. And although Reuben, who's the oldest, who would be the one in charge, manages to spare him that fate, he ends up thrown into this cistern, this pit, minus his lovely robe, of course. And then as Reuben pops away to do something, we're not told what, a group of traders come by on their way to Egypt. And so Joseph gets sold to them. And at the end of the chapter, we read that he ends up with uh, Potiphar, a captain of Pharaoh's guard. And in the meantime, his brothers have to cover up their crime. Uh, they kill a goat, smear the robe, this wonderful bright robe with blood, and return it to Jacob, who, of course, assumes the worst. It's quite a tale, and I, I can see why they like making musicals out of it. But what can, what can we learn in this for us? We know, looking back, the end of the story, which Joseph had no idea of that at that time, we know that God had a hugely important and critical job for Joseph to do. Through him, he was going to save his family. He was going to bless the nations around him, just as God had said to Abraham, you'll be a blessing to those around you. But the truth is, Joseph was not ready for that task. Maybe those dreams he'd had had given him an inkling that God had something special for him. But he was arrogant. He was immature. He probably didn't even realize that. He was just the spoiled brat, probably thought he was up for anything. But he simply wasn't ready for what God had for him. And so this story is really the beginning of the process of disciplining Joseph to bring him to where he needed to be. So th this is not so much about getting Joseph into the right place as in Egypt, to save his family. This is much more about changing him into the right person to save his family. Now, we can look back and we can see this in hindsight, but for Joseph, this was simply a terrible and traumatic event. If, as we'll go on in the story, we'll see how his brothers are talking about this event, and they say how desperately upset he was. That as they look back on it, they talk about him desperately pleading for his life. And we can imagine, you know, you're, you're one minute strutting about in this wonderful robe. Your brothers grab you, they strip it off you, they throw you into a pit. You think you may be about to die and instead you get sold into slavery, which is just a sort of a longer death sentence. And this was just completely, un Joseph just couldn't understand what was going on. He was suffering greatly. And, and we will think more about that tomorrow, what that suffering involved and how it actually prepared him for the role and task God had for him. But I think the, the lesson I suppose I want to draw out just from today is that each of us also has a part to play. It may not be the role, the dramatic role that Jacob, that Joseph had, or even as impactful. Maybe perhaps sometimes it feels insignificant. But the fact is, the role, the part we have to play, we're told in Ephesians 4, as part of the church, is building one another up to maturity, to become a, a person like Christ. It is about bringing others into God's kingdom. And so God wants us to be prepared for that role. 
And so he wants to discipline us too, just as he had to do with Joseph. Because at the end of the day, I think God is much more concerned with who we are than what we do for him. What we do for him is important, but who we are is much more important. And so God disciplines us. If we read Hebrews 12, verses 7 to 11, I'll just read that for us. The writer there tells us, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is painful. I've had plenty of it uh, growing up, especially under the old missionary boarding school rules where it wasn't just a telling off, it was something more uh, painful. But we've all been through painful moments in our lives. And, and for Joseph, this was painful. It was suffering. And he had no idea what was happening. It was beyond his control. And I think we can relate to that. We face challenges, difficulties that we don't control. We're in lockdown. We don't decide when that ends. And of course, there are many more painful, heartbreaking things at times. But I think just as God could use the dysfunctional family dynamics of Joseph, the betrayal, the slavery, God can also use our challenges, our difficulties, as it says there, not to punish us, but for our good. God disciplines us for our good, we read in verse 10 of Hebrews 12. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. That, he really gives us something to hold on to. That makes discipline, the pain, worthwhile. You see the Olympic athletes and top-level sportsmen talking about the discipline, and they say when, when you cross the finish line first, that made all the years leading up worthwhile. And we have something much greater. We share in God's holiness. That's an incredible thought for this morning. We share in God's holiness through the discipline he brings into our lives. And we know in the end, it says there's a harvest of righteousness and peace. It's not immediate. It says later in Hebrews. And for Joseph, it wasn't immediate. As we'll see tomorrow, he went through 13 years of suffering before things finally turned around. And he ends with a changed character and a restored family. And I don't think it's that God himself puts bad things into our lives, but if, he, if we allow him, he will use those things to change us into the likeness of his son, to share in his glory. So I hope that's encouraging. And just one last thought as I wrap up and pray. Joseph didn't choose this experience of having his status, that lovely cloak ripped away, of being betrayed, sold as a slave, but through it, he saved his family and a nation. Jesus, on the other hand, chose to come to this earth. He chose to lay aside his status and privilege. He chose to take on the form of a slave. He allowed himself to be betrayed 
and actually put to death on our behalf. He chose to go through that for us. So then let's accept the Father's discipline so that we might grow to be like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and we thank you for this story of Joseph that we're just beginning to look into. And I pray that as we continue looking through it this week, you'll remind us of things we know probably, but just challenge us and draw us closer to yourself. And we pray that you would help us put our eyes on you and, and understand that your discipline does is for our good. It does bring us into sharing your glory and that you do work a harvest of peace and righteousness through it. So we thank you, Father, that you you love us enough to discipline us. And we, we pray that we would see that and encourage those around us. And I, I pray for Mark and Heather especially as they're going through this time and uh, particularly for Mark as he is with Heather in her, perhaps her last moments. And so we, we just commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.